Welcome to Spirits Podcast, a boozy dive into mythology, legends, and folklore. Every week we pour a drink and learn about a new story from around the world. I'm Amanda. And I'm Julia. And this is episode 181, the mythology of brewing with our friend Katrina. I gotta admit, this episode makes me miss being able to go to breweries. A whole bunch. A whole bunch. But it does make me appreciate the uh, the local breweries that I have around that I can order from and support my local businesses. Absolutely. I have been enjoying some beers from Transmitter Brewing, which is a uh, urban farmhouse uh, brewing tap room here in the city that I can't visit at the moment, but I can enjoy their fabulous beers. I've been really rocking the Dogfish Head, which is right by where Jake's mom lives down in Delaware. And uh, she's been sending up cases for me because ooh, I miss it. I miss it so much. Uh, amazing. I've been like rationing the gin that they also um, make that you gave us, I think, at your bachelorette party. I probably did. Yeah. So good. You know, it's also so good, Julia. Is it our new patrons? Our new patrons. Thank you and welcome to Chelsea, Jen, Thea, Emily, Lisa, Ashley, and Brittany. We really, really appreciate you coming on board. Along with those of our supporting producer-level patrons, Tanka Rooney, Hannah, Alicia, Sarah, Landon, Nikki, Megan, Deborah, Molly, Skyla, Samantha, Sammy, Neil, Jessica, and Phil Fresh. You all deserve a beer that you've been hoarding for a long time and you're waiting yeah. for the right moment to drink yeah. it. Now's the right moment to drink it. Now is the moment. Drink that beer in your fridge. Uncork that wine. Make that nice cocktail with the egg whites. Come on. I would absolutely go through a multi-step drink-making uh, procedure for our legend-level patrons as well. Clara, Stephen, Francis, Brittany, Josie, Kylie, Morgan, BME Up, Scotty, Audra, Chris, Mark, Mr. Folk, Sarah, and Jack Marie. I would, yep, those cocktails, I'd break out the egg whites for them, for sure. And Julia, what have you been breaking out? What have you been enjoying along with a cocktail this week? I marathoned through my new copy of a book that just came out, I guess, two weeks ago at this point, which is The Mermaid, The Witch, and the Sea by Maggie Takuda Hall. I read it all in one sitting. I don't know how. I just, wow. it, my brain was like, this is too good to stop. Don't stop. Just don't stop. I love that feeling. I recommended the book back uh, when it was still for pre-order when we did our Mermaids and Splash episode, uh, and it lived up to all of the hype that I made for In My Brain. Definitely pick it up. It's extremely good. Fabulous. I, I love that so much. And that sounds amazing. Um, and if I could also add a, a double-barreled recommendation Ooh. for the week. Um, someone asked us on Twitter if there are other mythology podcasts that we've really been enjoying. And I have been. I've been enjoying Legends from the Pacific, which is an absolutely wonderful narrative um, mythology and folklore-based show all about the myths and legends of the Pacific. And it's fabulous. And you should look it up in your podcast player. Yes, listen to it. I absolutely love the host. He is a wonderful, wonderful storyteller. And I think that it's really nice to have a perspective that isn't just like white European. Totally. Absolutely. And if we can ask just one thing of you listeners this week to do to support spirits, it would be recommending the show to your friends. It means so much to us that we can recommend stuff to you that you go and enjoy, whether it's a podcast or a book or some new Netflix series that we're really enjoying. And to see you recommend spirits to your friends, whether you're tagging us on social or just texting them and saying, hey, this is a podcast that I think you would really enjoy. It helps the show by helping our audience continue to grow and also just makes us feel really good because you are sharing this, which is a very specific thing that very specific people like with somebody who would really enjoy it. 
Yeah, it means the world to us that you love our thing enough to tell other people about it. It it really just blows our minds even almost four years later. And if you're like, hey, I have already recommended Spirits to every person in my life who could possibly enjoy it. Good work. And why don't you consider joining the multi-crew? This is Multitude's membership program where us, our community, our audience, our listeners help to fund new work from Multitude. And now more than ever, it really, really means the world that we can count on your support, that we can share our weekly friendly debate show Head Heart Gut with you each week, that we can show you our plants and our drinks and our baking on the Finsta and just have that core group of people where if we have a weird idea or want to test something out or want to do a Jackbox night, you are our go-to. The multi-crew are a core group of listeners who we send our strange ideas and kind of fun, you know, us having a life and enjoying ourselves as people type content too. So if you are able to join for just five bucks a month, you can go to multicrew.club to get access to that whole brand new weekly show for Multitude Head Heart Gut and even our Finsta, our newsletter, voting rights, sparkly glitter pin, that's our M of our logo, mm. even a signed poster and a place on our wall of fame, our founder's wall. That's multicrew.club. And without further ado, please enjoy episode 181, The Mythology of Brewing with Katrina. We are welcoming a conspirator to the show today. Katrina is going back to school for a second degree in brewing and pub management, which I think might be the coolest major I've ever heard. Welcome, Katrina. Hi, thank you. Is 100% the coolest thing. I wish my school had offered that because, oh man, I'd be there already. Oh yeah, different oh, yeah. life, 100%. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's definitely different. And I wish I'd gotten into it much sooner before I got my first degree, but it's mm-hmm. still fabulous and I'm excited. So how different was your first degree compared to this one? Not superbly. My first degree is hospitality, tourism, and events management. So not Big difference, but still not exactly where I was headed. Same ecosystem, but very different species, I feel like is a good way to describe it. (laughs) Same galaxy, different planet. Oh, that's beautiful. Yes. (laughs) Totally. So why don't you give us um, just a a little, I don't know, overview of how you found out brewing was for you. I feel like a lot of us kind of harbor a somewhat secret desire, like, oh, that'll be a fun life. But tell us kind of how you went from thinking about it to actually taking the leap. And then we're going to get into some myths and legends about beer, wine, and liquor. Yeah. So for me, I was at that point of I'd just gotten my degree. I couldn't find an actual job in that place that I really wanted. So I just kind of loitered around a little bit here and there. And in between all of that, my friends and I, we are consistently going to breweries, beer gardens, uh, places that serve local craft brews here in Colorado. And it's just something that has a huge effect on our lives. And I just wanted to get into that area because of how much I enjoy it. Good call. Oh, Amanda, that uh, that story sounds very familiar, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I know. Instead, instead of that, though, we were like, we should make a podcast. And here we are. <laughs> I mean, you should do what you love, right? That is true. You know, whatever, whatever the universe is calling to you, I, mm-hmm. I say follow it. Yeah, absolutely. So I would love to hear some of your favorite uh, origin stories, myths, and kind of stories around brewing, 
winemaking, liquor distilling, distillerying, uh, please <laughs> like just lay them on us. I'm so ready for this tour. Yeah, absolutely. So where I thought we could start was the theories that resolve around where the fermentation process was or may have been discovered. And this is like one of my favorite things that I hear from historians that talk about this particular subject is that, well, fermentation was kind of discovered as an oops. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so the first fermented beverages are believed to have begun to appear to 12,000 to 13,000 years ago, depending on the source I noticed alongside the developments of cereal agriculture. Mm -hmm. Hunter-gatherers that had began to settle down into civilizations, agriculture at that time period included wheat, rice, barley, maize, those kind of cereal agriculture types. Little did they know that they had been growing the ingredients that would later on becomes such an important aspect of the brewing process. Oh, gosh, I love I love when like everything kind of comes together and it just becomes a domino effect later on mm -hmm. into something so delicious. <laughs> yes, especially something as good as beer. Mm. Now, I want you guys to imagine as a member of a settling society during this hunter gatherer time period, you start making baked goods from these grains that your family, your community have began to cultivate. You store mm. those baked goods away in a damp room for later. But, oh dear, you've forgotten <laughs> that you put those away. And you're like, oh, hey, guys, look, I still have some bread in the back room. You bring it out after it's become damp. And unbeknownst to you, it's fermented. All you and your family know is that when you eat it, it gives you a good intoxicating feeling. <laughs> <laughs> and that is saying hello to beer as an introduction to the brewing process from that period. What I think is really interesting about this too, as, as a kind of origin, is that it kind of implies that it comes out of a time of plenty, where you're kind of storing things ahead of time, like you've made enough baked goods to feed your family for that day, plus a little extra, which is why you're storing it in the first place. And I kind of mm -hmm. like that idea of like times of plenty lead to interesting discoveries. Yeah, absolutely. During that time, people began to realize this great thing that's making them feel real good when they're eating it is coming from this and they start making that process on purpose and then they start refining the fermentation process and add things to it so it starts to grow they start adding honey fruit and those kind of things to that fermentation process of the beer and today that creation of what they're mashing together is legitimately called the mash or wart. <laughs> Ooh, I like wart too, though. Like mash is great, but also wart is fantastic. Yeah, it's absolutely. <laughs> Some of the verbiage in all of this is just like, okay, cool. You're like, oh, we haven't changed this in hundreds and hundreds yeah. of years. And I'm fine with that. <laughs> yeah, you don't really. It's very witchy. Yeah. It's very medieval. Like, mm. yes, eye of newt and wart of beer. <laughs> <laughs> So when in brewing, we have like, you know, I hear that a beer has like a uh, chocolate or made with passion fruit or made with like whatever milk. Um, when is that added in the brewing process? 
Is that like thrown in there with the wheat or the barley? I'd, I'd rather say as to when that happens during the fermentation process is... Sure. Oh, sure. Uh, when the mash is being created in that process of mixing the malts, the grains, the hot water that gets all steeped together, um, which, as I said, is the mashing process. That's when you just throw everything into a pot and start heating it and making that fermented liquid. The wort is the liquids that are the, the liquids product of the mashing process. It's sugary liquid that the hops are then added to for the fermentation process. And both of these terms also you can often see being used interchangeably in the fermentation process of beer and the distilling process of whiskey. Oh, cool. Mm. We went to um, Westward Whiskey in Portland uh, mm. when we were at a podcast conference earlier this year, amazingly. Um, oh, God. I know. And... Uh, we were able to taste the wort like they they yeah. gave us a kind of like beer that they ended up making um as you know using that that byproduct of the mm-hmm. whiskey process and it was so cool like you could totally taste some of the flavors that would end up becoming you know in the whiskey that you tasted at the end but it was still really interesting as a beverage of its own yeah yeah absolutely the wort is such an interesting aspect of the brewing process too partly because you can do so much with it you can taste it as you guys did and i've also seen other breweries who are trying to make their process a little more eco-friendly and move away from plastics and instead of using Mm. a plastic ring to hold their cans together they're using the byproduct of the wart as like a cardboard to hold the cans together and like it's extremely cool it is and it is incredibly safe for animals like turtles and fish to actually eat so it's adding to their their diet and it's safe for them that's so cool yeah it's fascinating Mm -hmm. now there are four basic ingredients to the beer brewing process malted barley yeast water hops interestingly weren't Mm. added until later on in the 15th century wow yeah and hops are such a long time it is it is a very long time but in From what I've noticed, beer before that age was a lot sweeter than it is now. Mm. And now it's going towards that hoppy, bittery taste that people love. And hops are such an interesting flower, too. I've actually, I don't know if you've ever held a hop flower, but they are very papery. They are delicate. They are this pale green that just crumbles in your hands. I've I've never seen one, but Amanda has apparently seen them growing. Mm -hmm. Oh, I have. Yeah. Like as New York craft beer brewing has continued to like expand over the last decade, um, more and more hops farms have been growing in the state. Um, So sometimes when you drive up I-90 in New York, there are hop farms. And the first time I saw it, I thought I was like dreaming or drunk because I was like, why (laughs) are those vines so tall? What's happening? They're very (laughs) cool to see grown. Mm-hmm. There's a few breweries around here in Denver. Dry Dock Brewing actually has their own little hop vine barrels right outside of their brewery. brewery that um, they have this just line that goes up to the roof of their their building, and the little vines just swirl on up. They're so aww, cool. Yeah, so cute, so pretty. It is. <laughs> um, but that hop aspect, that's that's what gives you that super bitter uh, taste to a beer that those IPAs, those pale ales, that that bitter component that you taste and smell, that's where it's coming from is the hop. 
Mm. And there's actually a measure measuring unit for hoppiness. It's called the International mm. Bittering Units, IBUs. <laughs> You've probably seen IBU in a brewery where it's saying IBU of 14 or IBU of 100. That's telling mm. you how bitter it's going to be. It's a fair warning. So, you know, that's very useful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah. If it's a IBU of 100, it's going to be bitter. And you probably should, if you like bitters, that's the drink for you. If you don't, it's not. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, man. I love that. Yeah. The the grains, the malty part of it. So the wheats, the barleys, the oats, the maize, and the rice. That's what makes it that smooth uh, dark for darker beers. That's what gives it that uh, stouty or portery taste. Mm, Amanda's favorite. Mm. I need a scale for that. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. I'm I'm a I'm a porter and a stout person. The darker, the chewier, the happier I am. Ooh, very. And, nice. You know, for people who don't like beer and are interested in trying, I think those are great beers for you to start with, um, mm-hmm. because it's often like fairly sweet or at least not very bitter and not very hoppy. And there's often ways that you can be like, oh, yes, I do like chocolate or I do like marshmallow or I do like chocolate milk, you know, and kind of choose um, those little flavor uh, additives or like flavor notes that really work for you. And then it's a way for you not to be like, oh, it's a beer I am drinking, but like, oh, there is there are flavors in here that I can kind of grab onto. Yeah, absolutely. That's actually how I started enjoying beers. I'm not super into the hoppier beers, but the more that I've been exploring beers, the more that I've been tasting different ones, that's it's it's a process of finding which ones you like for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so evidence of beer production can be dated back about five very, very far to the ancient Sumerians, <laughs> and I'm I'm sorry if I mispronounce anything. I'm not that great at it myself. Welcome to the show. (laughs) Ancient Sumerian is fair game. That one's okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Archaeologists have found beer residue in ceramics that can date back from 3400 BC era. And it's just so amazing to me how they can scientifically say, yes, we found beer. It's so cool. And didn't someone recently, I can't remember if it was a sourdough starter. Yeah, yeah there was sourdough. a sourdough starter. Or they also might have brewed some beer with some remnants mm-hmm. that they found in pottery. And I'm like, yes, I would try it. But also I'm ready to be cursed by the mummy that <laughs> was made out of this beer or something like that. Yeah, yeah so cool. They've done some crazy experiments like, oh, we found this and we're going to remake it. I love that. Yes. That's one of my favorite. Historically, that is one of my favorite things to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And especially since beer was so essential to these ancient societies' diets, they couldn't drink water because it wasn't mm-hmm. clean. It wasn't safe for them to drink. So in lieu of that, people drank beer because it didn't make them sick. And what they didn't realize is that during the fermentation process where they boiled the water and boiled the ingredients, that's what made it safe to drink. So they just drank beer, which I'm all for. Amanda, I've been trying to figure out ways of uh, keeping fit with, uh, you know, everything going on right now. and. I have really, really turned the corner on being able to run. I used to hate running, but I downloaded Zombies Run 
and it is turning my run into like an adventure instead of just a drag. Hell yeah. Is this is this the app that like gives you a story in your earbuds as you are running? Yeah, so it combines thrilling audio storytelling with compelling gameplay. It's like this hopeful story about people coming together in adversity. It's not depressing. It's not grim dark. It's written by Naomi Alderman, who is a award-winning author of The Power and also Disobedience. So you're playing Runner 5 in this. You're helping rebuild humanity's last bastion. And it's your job to rescue survivors. You collect supplies and you're trying to find a cure to the zombies. Uh, it's free to download. It has over 500 missions and you unlock a new mission every week for free. It works at any speed. It works indoors. It works outdoors. And it's perfect for complete beginners and more veteran runners. So wherever you're at in the spectrum of like, if you love running or hate running, it is a great, great app for you. And if you just need a little bit of extra excitement or motivation to run, the app is there for you. So you can download on your iPhone or on Android. You just have to search Zombies Run. Absolutely. That's Zombies Run in the app store of iPhone or Android. We are also sponsored, Julia, by Skillshare. Now, every time that I get to recommend a Skillshare to you here on the show, I also take a new course and just pick out something that I think that the conspirators would enjoy. And you know, of course, that Skillshare is an online learning community offering our listeners here on Spirits two free months of Skillshare Premium. But before we get to that, I need to tell you about the course I took this week, which is Creativity and Beer, a Brewmaster's Guide to Flavor Emulation uh, by Garrett Oliver, who is the brewmaster here at Brooklyn Brewery. Did Garrett just make this specific class for us? That's incredible. It certainly feels like it. It was so fantastic, and it takes you through the process of creating a unique beer recipe inspired by a favorite food. It's only 40 minutes long. I wished it was hours and hours long, but that is the thing that I love most about Skillshare. It lets you either learn a new hobby or deepen an existing passion or skill in a way that is really digestible and doable. The videos are broken up into short lessons. There are ways to interact with other classmates and even the instructor, uh, depending on the course, right there on the platform. And the courses cover just so many things that kind of get me out of my head a little bit and teach me to do something new with my hands or with my creativity um, or even, you know, skills to further your career. And at Skillshare.com slash Spirits 2, that's Spirits with the number 2, you can get two free months of Skillshare Premium. And what that unlocks is unlimited access to their full catalog of classes. So get two free months of Skillshare Premium at Skillshare.com slash Spirits 2. And now let's get back to the show. Let's get into my favorite part of this historical information about the brewing process. And that is going back to ancient Sumerian and the goddess Ninkasi. Mm. Now you guys have in the, in the past talked about Inanna, mm. who is another Sumerian goddess. And you also explained how that God not only embodies what they represent, but they are what they represent. Yes. Ninkasi was both the brewer of beer and beer itself. Her name literally means the lady who fills the mouth. Ooh. Oh, dang. Mm-hmm. That is such a great name. Sorry. <laughs> it's, it's incredible. It, yes, it is. And she was also said to have been born of sparkling fresh water. Aw, that's very sweet. Mm-hmm. What good imagery. Yes, I absolutely love how... She is described and how early on that it's it's a woman who is the goddess of beer. And not only that, but it's believed that the priestesses of Ninkasi 
were some of the first brewers and that women had brewed beer in the home until the commercialization of beer beer production began. Man, home brewing, that's where it's at. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep, it was a big part of of the household where the woman, the wife, would be brewing the beer for the home. It's so interesting how different like professions and parts of a household and a family get differently gendered over time. And I think it's just Mm -hmm. great evidence that there is no such thing as a gendered task. It's just tasks that society tells us should be done by, uh, you know, one of, quote, the two genders. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. In in the story of Nikasi, there is a hymn to Nikasi. And the hymn was written by a Sumerian poet that was found on a clay tablet. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to read the whole thing because it's pretty long. But Mm -hmm. basically, it's the story of Ninkasi and a recipe for beer. Oh, yes. Poetry and recipes, the best of all worlds. Yeah. And because I'm not going to read the whole thing, it is fairly long. I can I can send it to you guys, please. But it tells about how she was born, born of the flowing water, tenderly cared for by the Ninharsag. And I'm sorry again if I say that, pronounce that wrong. It is very <laughs> No one's possible. speaking ancient Sumerian in real life anyway. So <laughs> Fair. Um, but Ninhursag was the Sumerian mother goddess. And her parents were, as described in this poem, Ninkasi, your father is Inki, lord of Nidamund. Your mother is Ninti, the queen of the sacred lake. Then it starts to talk about the ingredients of honey, grains, malts, and it talks about how the beer is prepared and what it is made in, which is described as a collector vat. And it goes on to say, Ninkasi, you are the one who pours out the filtered beer of the collector vat. It is the onrush of Tigris and Euphrates. And Tigris and Euphrates, they are the rivers that are in the Middle mm-hmm. East that run roughly parallel of the courses. And the way that I interpret that is that this beer was so important that it was as important as these rivers that are essential to life. Yeah. Gotta, gotta love the Mesopotamian twin r- rivers. Mm-hmm. What, what babes? <laughs> that yeah. cradle of civilization, y'all. Cradle. Mm-hmm. Now, there are a few other... Uh, references to other goddesses of beer around the world. However, I tried really hard to find more information about them, but I found more information about Nikasi than I did these other ones that I am going to touch on just very slightly. Akala is from the Incan culture and said to be the keeper of fires who also brewed beer. Uh, There's some debate on whether or not Akala was a goddess of or just a general title that was given to virgins and that served the sun god. Mm -hmm. A good title. It is. A good title, even if it isn't. Yeah. The actual goddess's name. Mm -hmm. There is another goddess associated with uh, beer, Albina, white barley goddess of Argos. And I couldn't find super much for this one other than Mm -hmm. breweries with this name. Uh, sounds very specific, which I, I also appreciate mm-hmm. for deities and spirits. Like the more specific a, a a spirit is or a deity is to a specific thing, mm-hmm. the more I love them. Yeah. And I'd love to look more into it. Um, I just at that time, I couldn't find very much, which was interesting to me. 
Now, I could certainly keep going about beer all day long, but I promised other topics too. So I'm going to talk <laughs> a little bit about wine now. The oldest evidence of, for the use of grapes as the part of the wine fermentation process, which is also fermented with rice and honey in China about 9,000 years ago. Researchers have been able to identify the presence of tartaric acid and remnants in cer ceramic remains. So mm. kind of seeing a trend. Science is so cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> seeing that trend in that ceramic was really good for keeping these things preserved. Viticulture is the cultivation of grapes and vitis vinifera is the species mm. of grapes that is most commonly used in winemaking. Thank you for defining that. Ooh, I, I just break out all the Latin. <laughs> I could I could sit here and listen to Latin plant names forever. Oh yeah, they're they're very pretty. Mm -hmm. By 4000 BC in the Middle East, uh, they were cultivating Venus vinifera, though some believe it was most likely earlier than that. Records mm. from Egypt date back from 2500 BC and depict the use of grapes in winemaking as well. That's so long ago. It's so <laughs> wild. So long. <laughs> yep. It's been around for a very long time. The Greeks were also active in the wine trade and making, not surprising considering their lore of Dionysus. Hmm. Bacchus. There's the boy. Yep. <laughs> Bacchus to the Romans was the god of wine, winemaking, grape cultivation, fertility, ritual madness, theater, and religious ecstasy. And you guys have touched on his origin story in past episodes as well. Before viticulture started in ancient Greece, they drank fermented mead, actually, which is for a fermented honey drink. Hmm. Very typically Delicious. sweet. We're, we're big fans of mead here on the show. That's good. <laughs> in I this household, mead. we stand mead. Mm-hmm. There's some. There's one particular great uh, geek lounge that we visit quite often that strictly serves mead. Ooh, God, yes. Julia, we Love gotta it. get out to Colorado. We Let, really yeah, do, definitely. <laughs> now we're gonna go a little forward in time, and we're gonna go to the voyages of Columbus. After Boo, Columbus, go home. <laughs> Boo, Columbus. <laughs> yeah, I'm not gonna touch too much on Columbus himself. But after his voyages, grape cultivation and winemaking had made its way to the New World. Spanish mm -hmm. missionaries in the mid-16th century took viticulture to Chile and Argentina. And by the 19th and 20th centuries, the modern winemaking industries were rapidly developing. Prominent wine-growing regions can now be found all over, from the foothills of the Andes Mountains to Napa, California. Ooh, gosh. Uh, just, I, I love how things have spread. Mm -hmm. I love I love that we've brought, you know, certain things to certain areas that aren't going to ruin the environment that they're in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, or can contribute something instead of decimating everything. That'd be nice, right? <laughs> that would be very nice. Now, a fun fact that I found that a chemist from the mid-19th century, Louis Pasteur, explained the fermentation process and identified the yeast that caused fermentation. He also identified a bacteria that can cause wine to spoil and created a heating method to kill the bacteria. Pasteurizing! Pasteurization! Exactly. I didn't actually know that before I randomly found it. I'm like, oh, that is fascinating and cool. 
makes sense. Makes sense. Mm -hmm. Not just for milk, for other things too. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Now, there are several types of wine within five classifications. Got white, red, rosé, a dessert wine or sweet, and then sparkling. Wines Mm. are classified by the grape variety used and the region where the grapes are grown. Mm. Now, Julia, I think you're going to like this next section a little bit more. Oh, well, thank you. (laughs) Because we're going to go into Japanese rice wine known as sake. Sake! Mm -hmm. (laughs) Which is the fermenting of rice during which starches are converted into sugar and thus alcohol. Sake is served either hot or cold. I don't know myself super a lot about sake because it's not my personally preferred drink. But what Mm. I learned going through the research that I found was that there are several different types of sake, of course. And there is so much gorgeous, beautiful etiquette that goes into serving that drink and the partaking of that beverage. It was really Mm -hmm. fascinating to read. I can shoot you some uh, links to where I found that also. We would love that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm a big fan of uh, the like traditions around sake. There's definitely a lot of like traditional ceremonial nature to it when it comes to actual like Japanese cultural heritage, uh, very similar to like tea services across uh, different cultures. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the some of the things that I found in that etiquette regard is just so pretty and my favorite part is those Mm. those adorable cups that they get served in i'm like yes they're so cute (laughs) there is a um subpar sushi place around the corner from the uh, multitude studio uh that it's real redeeming factor is the fact that if you spend more than 15 dollars, they give you unlimited free sake and it is uh the best that's that's a fair trade-off i think (laughs) <laughs> I feel like I feel like it is. <laughs> so I wanted to share a quick story of, that just really made me smile when I read it. And this is quoted mm-hmm. directly from the article I found. Um, and I can share that as well. The story is called Bull's Blood, Terrifying Wine. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> Give it to me. <laughs> so during the, the 1550s, the Turkish ruler, Suleiman, the Magnificent prepared his siege of Eger Castle in the Bish Mountains of northern Hungary. The fortress was defended by 2,000 soldiers and civilians, led by Captain Estevan Dobo, against far more Turks. Miraculously, the Hungarians held their stations despite several weeks of repeated ha- uh, attacks on their walls. It was during this onslaught that Dobo authorized rations of red wine to maintain the strength and moral of his defenders. The story goes that wine streamed down the thirsty soldiers' beards and armor, creating the notion among the enemy that the Hungarians were drinking bull's blood to give them superhuman strength. Heck yes. Love that. We love an an intimidation tactic. We really do. Oh yeah, this is fantastic. (laughs) As a result... The Turks withdrew from their Bia Eger for- Fortress. It was another 200 years or so before the Eger wine growers commercialized their red wine legend into bottles, which now is famous. Uh, they have a wine called Igri Bakavir, Bull's Blood mm. of Eger. 
someone please send me a bottle of this. I beg of you. <laughs> right. I beg of you. I, I would drink that so quick. It sounds delicious. It that is one of my favorite parts of like getting deeper into different kinds of traditions and like naming conventions of different alcohols and finding a beer or wine or sake or spirit that is named after some like obscure but totally right on uh, reference makes me want to make those things like that. You yes. know, in the same way that you want to own a bar or brewery to name it, like I want to do that specifically <laughs> to be able to name kinds of uh, liquors and alcohols mm-hmm. that I make. There is a brewery right around the corner from us called Fiction Brewing, and it's really cute. If you come to Denver, you've got to go to this place. All of their beers are based on books and fictions. And (gasps) Amanda, uh, and (laughs) they name them accordingly. It is so cute. Their bar is made out of books, and it's just it's so adorable. I love this place. I'm I'm sobbing. My dream is one day I will own a farm and make cheese and have like a a, a cheese uh, business. And I will name every cheese after like an SAT prep word. (laughs) (laughs) That's my dream. It's very good. Mom, I have to go. I have to study. I have to study the the cheese. Oh, that is brilliant. I I would eat that cheese. Oh, man, it'd be so good. I would eat that cheese with my bull's blood wine. Heck, yes. (laughs) now i want to get into liquor it's not my biggest knowledge-based subject as i'm a beer girl but i certainly want to bring it into this discussion so i want to get some definitions out of the way because there is a difference between liquor and liqueur Mm -hmm. um i really loved how an article described it that i came across and i'm going to quote this both are distilled spirits that contain alcohol and are crucial ingredients when min- when mixing cocktails. The liquids are not the same, and the terms are not interchangeable. And to me, this is just so perfect because it's so true. Liquor in general mm. is not sweet, and there are six types of liquor. Would you guys like to take a stab at trying to name those six? Gin, vodka, whiskey, rum. Gin, vodka, whiskey, rum. I'm thinking of like what is in all of my cocktails. Brandy? Um, ah, very good. I think, oh yeah, okay, cool. And then... Um, you got one more. I know. Ooh, this is going to be hard. Tequila. Tequila, Tequila. yeah. Thank you, hey. God. Yep. <laughs> Couldn't think of my, uh, my margaritas for a second there, I guess. <laughs> yep. Those are the six types of liquors that you will yes. come across in any bar uh, or on anybody's what bar Think of uh, with liqueurs as a wide range of flavors. So coffee flavors, Mm -hmm. nutty and fruity flavors. You've got cream liqueurs like Bailey's Irish cream that are typically things that you mix into cocktails. Right. It is believed that people first began distilling alcohols around the 13th century, though it might have been earlier. It probably was. Mm -hmm. Now, I've got a great folktale that I absolutely love for you guys please so this is a scottish folktale about a highlander and the devil (gasps) yes 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 excellent what an (laughs) even matchup right (laughs) that is an even matchup correct so tom comp bell a camp bell a highlander from Wigtown, who was a sailor then settled down back at home as a blacksmith with his wife and three kids as any good highlander does tom loved his usage Bertha, 
also known as Whiskey. <laughs> His town was hit by a very bad plague, and naturally, he was afraid he would soon be spending more time at home, so he stopped after a long day of work to get a bottle of the finest whiskey. As he checked the quality of his purchase, he held up a small toast and announced, The plague is the devil's work right enough, but he won't get the better of me. Oh, you can't just challenge the devil like that, dude. Come on. Oh, of course not. Because of course what happens? On his way home, he runs into none other than the devil himself. Obviously. Of course. Of course, Tom, as if expecting the devil's company... He invited the devil to drink with him. The mm, devil excellent. apparently hadn't had much to drink in the past, promptly got drunk after drinking half the bottle before Tom took it away, saying, hey, save some for me. <laughs> I, I like the idea of the devil having an extremely low tolerance. Mm-hmm. I also love that um, this is actually the first word that they teach you in Irish Duolingo is ishka, which is water. Um, but yeah, ishka baha is just is just whiskey. Like that's just what it's called, and it translates to water of life, and that's absolutely wonderful, <laughs> incredible. Yeah, and I'm Very sorry good. if I pronounce it wrong again. I'm just not. Listen, <sighs> that is again the one Irish word I know how to pronounce it because it's it's how you Always begin happy about that. Uh, Irish Duolingo. <laughs> so. <laughs> After promptly getting drunk, the devil announced that they would fight for Tom's soul. Of course, Tom won against the drunken devil. The devil left Tom to sleep off his own drunkenness on the beach. And the next morning, Tom was found by the town's priest who had been sent out to look for Tom by Tom's wife. The priest told Tom this was the second luckiest thing to happen that day. And when Tom asked what the first lucky thing was, the priest told him the plague was gone. (gasps) Yay. Good job, Tom. That's when Tom knew he had used whiskey to beat the devil and save the people of Wigtown. Incredible. Beautiful. Icon. So good. It's so good. I absolutely loved this story. (laughs) It is extremely good. When I get drunk, all I want to do is read poems. I don't want to fight. I just want to read. That is fair. That's very you. Just don't egg on the devil then. <laughs> or or egg on the devil and be like, hey, by the way, um, I'm going to get you drunk and then there's no plague anymore. Cool. Cool. cool yeah. Cool. What if I'm like devil fascism? It's your fault. And he's like, no, it's not. And then I beat him and then fascism's gone. That would be great. That, the dream. That is a perfect game plan that I am so in on. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> we'll We'll make it work. Fantastic. So a couple more things that I want to touch on is that in the 1920s and 30s, the United States had the ratification of the 18th Amendment, which banned the manufacture, the transportation, and the sale of intoxicating beverages. So you- Damn you, prohibition. (laughs) Yep. You couldn't legally drink. Uh, We clearly agree that this was not the most popular law. (laughs) It ultimately failed. And in 1933, the 21st Amendment repealed the 18th. And as you said, that time period was called the Prohibition. During this time, though, we see the rise of speakeasies, also known as, Mm. I love this, they're also known as blind pigs or gin joints. Oh, Oh. I hadn't heard blind pigs before. That's That's very good. Yeah, there's a pub called the Blind Pig in New York, and that must be why. There you go. I giggled so hard when I read that. I'm like, that's fantastic. I would (laughs) so call my speakeasy the blind pig. Very, very good. Mm. 
Now, these speakeasies were usually hidden in back rooms or basements. Some were in fancier clubs with jazz bands and dance floors. Of course, prohibition caused the rise of illegal activity surrounding the production and sales of alcohol. Al Capone was said to have made an estimated $60 million a year supplying beer and hard liquor to the speakeasies that he controlled. That's so much money. Is that in, in like, 1920s money or in modern day money? You know, the article that I read, I don't think it said, but that's a great question. Oh, if that's in 1920s money, that is so much money. Yeah. That's way too much. I see now how tax evasion was. <laughs> I got him. <laughs> it makes sense, doesn't it? <laughs> now, I don't want to spend all this time talking with you guys about how great beer and wine and alcohol is. Yes, it's a huge deal, especially for me, who's I'm trying to make a career in this industry. And historically, it's had such an impact on cultures across the world but i also do feel like it is something that is very important to talk about the not so great side of it Mm -hmm. alcoholism is a very prominent subject and for some it's a thing that they deal with every single day either themselves or through a family member or a friend and i do really feel like it's important to point out that there is help for those who need it um, I did some research. I found the National Drug Helpline, so drughelpline.org, uh, which has a lot of resources for anyone who needs help with substance abuse of any kind. I just feel like that is something to that is super important to point out because everybody needs help if that is something that they need help with. That's that's very thoughtful. Yeah, it's something that's definitely affected my family and people that I know. And if you're looking for someone to support you in your decision to seek treatment or just to kind of reassess your relationship with with any kind of behavior or substance, you have your support in us. Mm -hmm. And the last part that I really want to talk about is that it's not all bad. I don't want to end on a sad note. Mm hmm. Our history is so ripe with stories about beer, wine, liquor, from Greece to America to Japan. Alcohol has been around for a very, very long time, oops or not, and it's not (laughs) going anywhere. It's involved in so many cultures and religions. You've got wine communing in Catholic churches, and many cultures use alcohol in rituals or prayer. And today, brewing industries are growing so much across the United States and throughout the world. Beer gardens are becoming more and more popular. We see local craft breweries popping up everywhere. It is part of the culture and it is thriving. Totally. And whether you are bonding with friends and family or visiting a new city and taking in new sites with a glass of beer, glass of wine, a Mm -hmm. cup of the liquor or liqueur of your choice, uh, or water or tea Mm -hmm. or coffee. We hope that uh, it's an opportunity for you, yeah, to just take a a notice of the world Mm -hmm. around you and share a story with someone you love. Yeah, and that's a a great great segue into um, something that I want to point out. You don't have to be a drinker to enjoy the culture or have a negative outlook on it. There are some people who don't drink, but will go to a brewery with friends just because you enjoy that environment, you enjoy that culture. And it's not something that has to force distance between people. My best friend, she's married. She is married to a guy who does not drink any alcohol at all. And she does. And they, 
It has absolutely no negative effect on their relationship. He respects her choices and she respects his. And it's just, they have such a good relationship in that aspect. So it can work. Absolutely. That is, that's absolutely true. And, you know, I think it's also really important to be like, if you're hanging out with people who don't drink, don't ask them why they don't drink. It's really none of your business. Oh, yeah. It's not your business. It's fine. Let it go. (laughs) Don't don't be that John Mulaney bit where they offer him a turnip because they don't know what to do with him because he doesn't drink. (laughs) Yeah. Focus your attention instead on the wonderful history of the uh, beverage of your choice. Yeah. And breweries Mm -hmm. will actually, like, touch on that. They don't just, there's a lot of breweries around here that don't just brew beer. They brew, they Mm -hmm. create their own uh, root beer or orange cream soda, and they'll give it to you for free in often cases if you're not drinking and you're the designated driver. So there's, there's something there for everyone. Absolutely. Well, we're so glad that breweries can be such a great central hub for communities and friendships and just people to hang out and have a good time. Yeah, absolutely. I I find the culture so fascinating and enjoyable. Well, good luck in your uh, studies. I would love to, you know, just give you like the double thumbs up. And when you do <laughs> find employment, you know, at a brewery or start one of your own, I definitely do want to visit. We would love to patron it. Absolutely. You guys would be welcome anytime. Appreciate it. Katrina, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Yeah. And um, any projects that you want to let our conspirators know about? Yeah, absolutely. So my best friends and I, we are working on a future podcast and we are creating our own uh, tabletop role play game book. And yes, so our role play game book is going to be called Aloria and our podcast Don't Botch, which you can find at starsinmydie.com. Very good domain name. That's a really good URL. (laughs) It is. So starsinmydie.com is held on by my friend Katie, and she makes handmade uh, custom dice collections. Very cool. Mm -hmm. Very crunchable dice. Absolutely cool. Ooh, so crunchable. (laughs) I love that so much. Thanks for having me. It was delightful to have you here. (laughs) It was delightful to be. Yay. And listeners, remember, stay creepy. Stay cool. Thanks again to our sponsors. You can look up Zombies Run in the iPhone or Android app stores. And at Skillshare.com slash Spirits 2, you can get two free months of Skillshare Premium. Spirits was created by Amanda McLaughlin, Julia Shafini, and Eric Schneider, with music by Kevin McLeod and visual design by Allison Wakeman. Keep up with all things creepy and cool by following us at Spirits Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Tumblr. We also have all of our episode transcripts, guest appearances, and merch on our website, as well as a form to send us your urban legends at spiritspodcast.com. Join our member community on Patreon, patreon.com slash spiritspodcast for all kinds of behind the scenes stuff. Just $1 gets you access to audio extras with so much more available too. Recipe cards, director's commentaries, exclusive merch, and real physical gifts. We are a founding member of Multitude, a collective of independent audio professionals. If you like spirits, you will love the other shows that live on our website at multitude.productions. And above all else, if you liked what you heard today, please share us with your friends. That is the very best way to help us keep on growing. Thank you so much for listening. Till next time.